Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of DEI After Five. This is going to be a phenomenal conversation. Why? Because not only do I have one practitioner, I have two that will be joining me for this conversation. And this is a conversation we haven't had yet on this show, right? So we are also going to continue talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. But today we're going to talk about recruiting. And so I want to welcome my two guests. Dia Harris and Jennifer Arnau. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for having us. Yay, I'm so excited to have this conversation. So I wanna start off by first introducing yourselves, right? Who are you? Tell me how you got into this work. So Jennifer, I wanna start with you. Sure, so I'm Jennifer Arnau. I've been in the diversity recruiting space for about 12 years now and a good thanks to Dia because he's influential in how I am where I am today. I've worked across various industries, banking, insurance, and worked a lot with campus recruiting in the student space, uh, which is where I started, Um, based in New Jersey, a mama of two, uh, and really excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And Dia. Hello, hello, hello. Talk about yourself, yes. Hey, I'm Dia Harris, and I'm, I'm a director of recruiting currently right now, and I've been actually in the DEI space for about 20 years. In, in various roles. It started off uh, in higher ed, actually doing uh, recruiting and focusing on diversity uh, candidates and then uh, making my switch to the dark side, as I call it, the corporate sector, and kind <laughs> of recruiting and um, as well as DEI. Uh, not only was I um, uh, intimately involved with recruiting throughout my career, but I also served as senior program managers for diversity, equity, inclusion too throughout my career. Um, I'm currently, like I said, a director of recruiting at a, at a Fortune um, 500 company, um, and, and I love what I do. Um, I think, you know, you talk about how do I get involved in this stuff? I was born to be in this position. I'm, I'm a black male, and, and, and once again, um, I, like I said, I was born to be here, and I've met some great people throughout my career that really have, have influenced me, uh, such as Jennifer herself. You know, we, we've known each other for years, and I've been in industries such as financial services, healthcare. Um, you know, you name it. I, I've been in the industry, particularly in the DEI space, but most of my time has been spent in the uh, recruiting space, focusing on DEI. Wonderful. So I want to just jump right in, right? Because when the three of us spoke a couple of months ago and just trying to get to know each other a little bit better, Dia, of course, we worked at the same place. At that place. Yep. Yeah, we at did. that place. <laughs> we worked at that place. And, um, you know, we were just having some conversation around there's this uptick in diversity recruiting, but it was almost a superficial thing Mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, yeah, we need black and brown bodies. We need. But then there was no thought beyond that. So talk to us a little bit about kind of what you experienced during that. What I'm going to call is awakening. Yeah. Yeah. In in this space, particularly in corporate spaces. Jennifer, can I start for a second? Yeah, go for yeah, it. Jumping. 
So, so we all know these things that happened, you know, in 2020. And we say it started in 2020, right? But we all know it started way before 2020. But we know of all of these incidents that, that happened in 2020. And then all of a sudden, these organizations uh, said, hey, we're going to step up. We're going to diversify as much as possible. We're going to do this and do that. Here it is, 2022. And my thing is, like, who's holding them accountable for what they said and stuff. And, and so everybody's raising their hand. We're going to diversify. We're going to, our executive leaders, we're going to double the number of uh, people of color that are leaders in our organization. You know, one organization I, I was in, they said they're going to double their executive leaders, oh. their black executive leaders. Wasn't that hard when they only had one? One. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't that hard at all and stuff. And so my, my concern and issue is that who is holding those organizations accountable now? for everything that they said in 2020, because the momentum has died. It has truly died. And so I, I truly believe that organizations want to diversify. But once again, we have to question why. Is it for business purposes or is it for the gratification of that they, they need to serve a larger purpose? They know that diversity serves uh, uh, you know, a purpose in a larger space besides them making money from it because their clients are asking for it. So we need to start start really holding them accountable. And I, I definitely want to focus on that, the accountability of that and um, our businesses being held accountable for this diversity, equity, inclusion um, that they say they want to do, particularly from events from 2020. Yes, yes. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump in with that one, but yeah. That's okay. That's okay. We all knew those stats, right? It was one. That one speed so I'm just like exactly, and I didn't even know they existed. Well, but. yeah, <laughs> Jennifer, you know, so let me what what are you, um, what was that experience, or what has been that experience? You know, Dia pointed out 2020, everyone wanted to do this, and now it's kind of trickled down. Like, what are you seeing? Yeah, I think it's a variety of things, right? And I think a lot of organizations focus a lot on the entry-level pipeline, and that's because it's the easiest, right? If you think about where the variety of diverse talent and where you're going to find them across their career cycle, the larger populations, you're going to find that early career coming out of college. So everyone's college recruiting, interns, Mm -hmm. interns, interns, but then what are you doing to keep them? Mm -hmm. Are you even retaining them? What programs do you have in place for them to actually develop and stay? And I think we're in a, you know, we're in a candidate marketplace. If there are not tools and programs in place to keep that early talent, they're jumping. I'm seeing it everywhere. People are not staying at companies for more than a year sometimes. I mean, you're just like back then it was frowned upon, but now you're just seeing it. Oh, a new update. Oh, a new place. Oh, oh, wow. (laughs) Like we're just, I think that. There's a lot of great energy toward it, but I think that there really has to be a true focus on what we're doing to keep that really good talent that you just spent hours and hours and hours recruiting, and but to keep them there in order for them to develop, develop and grow into that new pipeline, right? Into your leaders, into your executive C-suite level folks. And I yeah. think that that's where that mix is. Like they're just, we don't have enough things in place for them to make it. You know, you touched on something just now that I think is is critical is a critical piece of this conversation, right? It's, there's this effort to bring people in, but what's happening to keep them there, right? And so there's the saying, and I had someone um, say this to me not too long ago, is when you 
are trying to bring a new organ, right? You're doing an organ donation. You're trying to bring a new organ into the body. You have to prepare the body so that the body doesn't reject it. And so I look at diversity recruiting as a part of that, right? Your job is to bring folks into this new body, but the body has to be, be prepared in order to ensure that that person is successful in that space, right? And so as in your roles, um, what role do you play in kind of making sure that that takes place? Sasha, I think you you know one of my old sayings is that, you know, something that my grandmother used to say, before you invite guests to your house, you need to make sure your house is cleaned and prepared for guests and stuff. And so it's really important that you do this for the right organization because I am not one that want to bring do, do the bait and switch almost. You know, bring um, young, bright, brilliant candidates into an organization and then it's bait and switch. Dia, it's not mm. what you told me. You know, um, I'm having issues. I don't see people who look like me. So one of the things I always want to talk about that, you know, my role as well as Jennifer's role as, as director of recruiting is that we have to do three different things. We have to attract the candidate. We have to work on retaining the candidate and we have to help with promoting as well. You know, we want to see them rise to become leaders because if they become leaders, it's an easy story for me to sell the organization to say, look, people like us are, you know, being successful here. And so it's an easy recruit for me. You know, I, I can I can show them the, the fruits of our labor to say people of color are succeeding here. They're doing well. But if you don't have an organization where they don't, like Jennifer said, have programs to help retain them, you know, uh, and, and do other things, then you're going to fail. There, there's certain programs outside of my full-time job. There are other things that I do. Um, there's there's transition programs that I work with at, at one of the historically black colleges. I won't kind of name which one, but I work with them and they help transition um, uh, uh, early career talent from, from college to, to, to the corporate world. And I've, I've facilitated several sessions on that to really help them transition because they know that inside their organization, Sometimes there aren't these safety nets to really help them transition. So they have we have to provide them other resources that uh, make them successful. So I do help with uh, developing designing sessions to help them um, transition into the work um, work world successfully, as well as how to get promoted there as well. You know, networking, mentoring, and making sure that you have that network of individuals who are going to be your safety net and help transition and help guide you through your career uh, within that organization and stuff. And so th- th- there's a lot of things that organizations need to do to make sure that they're successful. Because as Jennifer said, you know, people are jumping, you know, they, they're not even giving it a year these days and stuff like that. Not even early career professionals, seasoned professionals. You know, yeah. that environment that is conducive to them and that's going to lend to their career journey and path. And if you're not doing that, why stay? Right. You know, Jennifer, you can be gone. They can ask you to leave tomorrow. So why can't you leave tomorrow? Your free will. That part. part. Jennifer, I want you to talk about some of those programs, too, because, you know, one of the things that I have said to organizations, right, they create programs. And honestly, some of them, not all, some of them are a checkbox. Yep. We have this program for emerging leaders. But it's not tied to secession planning. You know, it's not tied to, um, you know, how do you help them grow within your organization? It's, yep, we paid for this leadership development program for X, Y, and Z, 
pat ourselves on the back and then keep moving. So talk to us a little bit about some of those programs and what makes them successful. And you know what? It's not even sometimes a program. Sometimes it's just the effort from the leader. I remember working with a leader uh, for a group I was supporting and he was such a thought, like he was true, like I'm all for this DEI work and I'm gonna make a difference for my group. As small of a task of me just sitting in a room with him virtually, right? and on the call with his leaders and we're just talking about their talent and somebody being there to ask the questions, okay, mm. how diverse is this pipeline of talent when you're putting them in their boxes of top uh, high potential emerging leader? When are they gonna be promotable? And if not, when? And as you're looking at the diversity of them, do we have blacks? Do we have Hispanics? Do we have females? And asking those questions and we're like, wow, we're missing a gap here. Like, I want to go two levels down and I want to get to know that person. Just mm-hmm. something as small as that. So sometimes, yes, to your point, some programs were done very, very well, but it also doesn't take a program to be able to drive that work for your organization. You can do it on your own as a leader just by having the right questions asked during those talent discussions. You know, you you just touched on, I don't want to say it's my pain point. <laughs> but it's a huge piece of this, right? We're all practitioners in this space. And I think many organizations feel, oh, we have someone that does DEI. So that's their responsibility. <laughs> I, I don't have to do it because I got D, I got Jennifer on my team. They're going to take care of it. And one of the things that I try to push is I'm a support system for you and your team, but you're responsible for getting this work done right? You are the advocate. You are the champion for diversity and inclusion. You should be asking those questions. Um, And so having you in the room to coach them to do that is one thing, but what happens when you're not there? Are they going to continue to do that and ask those questions, right? And so how do you then prepare them to do that? So I want to do a little bit of a pivot because Dia, one of the things that you spoke about was that retention piece, right? That's so important. And part of that is that experience when they get there. You know, um, I always talk about, is this the the Wizard of Oz? Where you talk about Emerald City, this beautiful, wonderful place, and then they get there and it's just this little man on a bicycle behind a curtain. (laughs) Right? And so it's just like, wait a minute, this isn't what you told me. This is not what I'm experiencing. And so how can organizations tap into your roles to help them with that retention piece. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I, I go back to my early days in, in, in my career when I worked at a, a college university and I was director of recruiting and I oversaw all of our diversity um, recruiting efforts. And so um, I traveled probably 100% for that job. And my job was to get out there and, 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 and get students who look like me to this private liberal arts college and stuff. And I I did an amazing job with attracting the candidates and stuff. But here it is, Sasha, when they got on campus that following year, I was gone. So the first person that they came to look when they came on campus was me because they they built their trust upon me. Their parents built their trust upon me. Whoever their support system was, they built their trust upon me. Dia, they, they would say, Dia, I'm sending my child to this college because of you, because right. of what you said and the support that you said you're going to give them. 
that college got it right because what they did, they then changed my position. Not only was I director of recruiting, but I was also associate uh, dean of students. So one year I would be on the road recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. I had a team of other recruiters that reported directly to me as well. And they all did recruiting. I would be on a road recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. That next year when that class came in, I didn't go on a road to recruit. I was dean of students. So I stayed there to welcome them, to help transition them, to be their support system that they really needed and mm. stuff. And, and, and so they was like, oh, there's Dia. You know, he recruited me and stuff like that. But I still had a team of recruiters that was on a road recruiting that next class. And we rotated every other year and stuff to, just to make sure that first year, that foundation year is really important to them. So I always say that college, that they got it right, you know, when they developed that type of system where, you know, that one year I recruited, that other year I stayed on campus to help transition and stuff like that. And that's what organizations need to think about doing, you know, because I am out there in the face of the company getting these candidates, I I should have to, and, and, and it's part of my job, to be honest, also help retain them. But it's kind of difficult for me to do when at the same time, you know, I'm working with my colleagues to say, I need to bring in this next class. You know, we have, we have, you know, 600 interns that we need to recruit for our next class. And I need to make sure at least 25 to 30% of that class is as diverse as possible. So, you know, I can't really develop these retention programs or mentoring programs and stuff like that. That's where I do do lean on my colleagues, you know, our, our chief diversity officers that I work with in our organizations and stuff to say, hey, let me let me tell you the demographics of this class that I'm about to bring into you and stuff. And, and this is what I think would be helpful for them to help transition as well as help retain them and stuff. And I think with any person of color, any any young professional will want to see a career path. They want to see what direction they're, they can go in and, and, and what type of uh, opportunities that they, they have for them. And if you sell them short, that's when they're going to jump. You know, yeah. I, I personally pull out that road path and say, hey, you know, year two, you said I was going to be able to do X, Y, and Z. It's year two and a half. What happened? It's not happening. Yeah. You know, so what I'm hearing, I'm hearing really two things. One is organizations, be it higher education, be it nonprofit, be it corporate, need to be intentional in what they're doing in their recruiting efforts and not just tokenizing, because that's what a lot of folks do. It's, oh, okay, yep, I'm going to send our black and brown folks to these organizations and they're trained, but they're not recruiters. They're not like, they're, it's just butts in seats and it's not really an intentional part of the process, right? And to your point, it's important for them to see, oh, okay, this is someone I met at this recruiting event, but I also see them thriving within the organization. And if they can do it, I can do it, right? And so, And there's a process that helps them through that pathway. So I'm hearing that, but I'm also hearing that new employees, students, whoever the the outreach effort is going toward also needs to be intentional in understanding what they want out of that process, right? They may not know the entire path, but they will know, okay, I need this type of support or what type of resources are available to me those types of things so that they can start to determine, is this a place where I can be successful? 
Right. And sometimes it's the leader too, right? Making sure you have the right leader in place to guide you when you are finding those moments where you're just stuck. And we all go through stuck moments. Yeah. We all do. But the leader is really is going to drive whether you stay or you go. Yeah. Right. And what kind of support that they give you. you and know, it's something you touched on that really hit me, like tugged at my heart and my soul. You know, you talked about, you know, you're always out there. And that burnout is real, right? When we are the face, we are constantly out, we're out traveling. And I think the really critical piece here is just as much as recruiting is out there all the time, the leaders, be it junior, experience, and senior, they have to be just as visible out to the marketplace too, because that's what makes the difference, right? When you think about mm -hmm. culture, nobody can sell the culture of your business and what that group does in the day-to-day better than you because that's your group recruiting we're the face we're gonna sell it we're gonna say here's everything great about our organization here's what we have to offer we can sell it we're sellers right that's that's a yeah. that's a skill that we have to have in the recruiting space being able to sell our organization for people to come and attract them but our leaders right you're the ones that are there day to day you're the ones who drive the culture you're the ones who are able to talk about what's working what's not and having those conversations are so critical i remember a student and I'll never forget this, dude. This is maybe a, a couple years ago. He had, he must have had like 15, 16 offers. He was from like University of Puerto Rico. Had so many offers. But let me tell you, he decided to go with the offer that we had for him. And purely when I asked him, and mind you, I was like competing like with a Google offer at the time. So I was surprised that we won him out. And I asked him, you know, what made you decide to pick our offer? Because I knew for a fact our comp was not anywhere near other offers. And he said, honestly, the people that I met made me feel at home. So I knew going to that organization that I had a safe place if and when I would get stuck. And that that's, that still to this day hits me, right? Because when they meet people, candidates meet people from the business, wow, like that person stuck with me. And you know, I'm a phone call away. I'm a Zoom message away, whatever. Like, they're so close to us. Mm -hmm. And that is the critical piece too, knowing that those same people who are out there trying to find you, you connected and they're going to either help you make your experience what it could be at your organization. So I think, you know, Dia, to your point, yes, it's important for us recruiting to be out there, but the business, the leaders, they have to be engaged. Don't just send, oh, recruiting can do it. We could, but yeah. it's not going to be the same when they actually meet you as the leaders who are running the, that part of the organization. And it's so funny you said that because it reminded me something I said, which I don't want to offend y'all, but I always I say this a lot. Is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's one of those things like if you treat your employees well, then you don't need recruiting. Right. Because your your employees will be the best recruiters that you have. Referrals, referrals, referrals. Yeah. Right. And so it's particularly for people of color, because what we do is we talk amongst each other about what's work, what's working, what's not working, what's toxic. We don't put that on glass door. We don't put that on these public places, yeah. right? But I will have lunch with you and tell you all the grievances that I've had dealing with some. I had someone email me yesterday saying, hey, I went to this company and whew, I'm already looking for another job. Let's talk. Exactly. Right yeah. now. But again, I would never put that negativity out because uh -huh. as a person of color or someone from an underrepresented community, that can also be a ding against you. Yeah. Right. We don't have the freedom yeah. to speak freely in those spaces. 
And so if organizations really thought about, okay, yes, recruiting is important, but we need to take that, that retention piece. How are we retaining? What are we doing to help and support? That just helps you all do your jobs so much better. And Sasha, that's why it's important where, where, where I talk a little bit about Jennifer and I, I mean, we're, we're not only recruiters, we put that hat on, but we also are program managers as well, because with all the programs that I recruit for, I also kind of sit down and talk to them and say, tell me about this program. What are, what are you doing for this person of color that's coming into this program? How are you going to retain them? And so I help them redevelop or redesign that program if I feel as though it's not going to be a program that's going to be conducive to recruiting any type of student and stuff. So not only are we recruiters, we're program managers, um, you know, we're, we're rotation managers and stuff like that. You know, so we have to serve in many different roles. Um, to make sure that we are successful from the beginning. Like, like I said, those three things that, that attract, retention, and promotion. We have to work on all three of those things. So, so we're always multitasking with everything that we do. Yeah. You know, and the other piece of this that you both touched on is not only are you recruiters, but you're DEI practitioners, right? Like you're bringing that lens to this work. And I think that there's so many people that are in recruiting or HR, some of these roles that are just like, oh yeah, just tack it on. It's not a tack on. Like there's a specific skill set when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion that you need to have as you do this work. And so I want to make sure that that's clear, that you know what you all are talking about, this experience that you have, isn't just a nice to have. It is baked into what you do as a part of your role. And so that's a critical piece of this um, that I think that a lot of practitioners no, but other organizations, other parts of the organization may not know, right? So as a marketer, I was a marketer, but I was a DEI practitioner in a marketing role. And so there was a different lens that I brought to that work. So I'm going to do a little bit of a pivot and ask you, because um, Jennifer, you touched on this earlier about burnout. What do you do to take care of yourselves? Like, how do you fill your cup? So I'm going to start with you and then we'll go to Dia. Well, I've been trying to refill my cup because lately I've been struggling a little bit, but uh, I've been actually leaning on my faith. Um, I feel like I, I disappeared from faith for a little bit and I'm like, something, something's got to give to get me back to, you know, my level playing field. So going back to faith was important for me and my kids, you know, like why work so hard and not be able to enjoy the fruits of my labor with my kids, right? So I know at the end of my days, I have my kids. I have my two boys. And we're going to play. We're going to wrestle. You know, we're, we're going to play T-ball over the summer. Uh, you know, yesterday I took the kids to the water park. Well, the splash pad out the park after after work, after a day of work. Uh, that, that's really ultimately what helps me on those days. Uh, and just being aware, so that self-awareness and just being vulnerable, accepting when you need help, leveraging mm-hmm. resources, uh, like mental health um, resources that my employers have offered in the past, um, things like that. Um, but definitely faith, faith, family, friends, people like Dia, like, I need, I need a day, I need to vet. <laughs> love it. Love it. Dia, what about you? Um, a couple of different things. Um, I think like Jennifer said, you know, picking up the phone or sending text messages to people who understand my struggle and stuff mm-hmm. and just you know, kind of, you know, say, hey, I know you know what's going on or, you know, I know you can understand what I'm feeling. But also one of the things that brings me joy and energizes me is that 
I am still connected to candidates that I recruited in the early career that are now like mm. our vice presidents, our directors and stuff. You know, I connect and I stay connected with them and I say, there's a reason why I do this. And, and you're that reason. And that gives me so much joy and energy. And then behind that, I'm a huge bourbon drinker. I have an amazing bourbon collection. And I love my bourbon liquor. And that brings, at the end of the day, I may have to take a little sipping glass and, and, and relax and, and, and put it down for the night and, and restart the next day. Let me add a little bit of with the with your alcohol. We're going to go jam it out. We're going to release all those energies, some salsa, some cognac, you know? <laughs> love it. I love it. I love it. And D, I was kind of, I was laughing a little bit kind of at your story because as you were talking about, you know, your early career recruiting, I'm still connected to the person that recruited me to my undergrad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And when I think about, and Earl, you know who you are. Um, <laughs> what I think about just like the, the evolution of life and how, you know, there's that connection has always been there, um, you know, both alum from the same place. And, you know, so it's so important that when you see that spark in someone, how that can impact the trajectory of, of their life and their their professional careers and, you know, all of that. So as you were talking, it just kind of reminded me of like, oh, yeah. I, I remember that person really, really well. So yeah. thank you. Well, I just want to thank you both for this conversation. I think that, you know, this is a part of DEI that we don't always talk about. And so it's so important that we have conversations around recruiting. We need to have more conversations around this because it's not just, okay, let's get some butts in seats, but there really needs to be some intentionality around it. So thank you, Dia. Thank you, Jennifer, for being here. Thank you all for watching and listening to EI After Five. Um, please feel free to follow us, subscribe, like, follow us on LinkedIn, social media, all the, we're on all the things, all the platforms. Really excited to have you and continue this conversation with you. We'll see you next time. Have a good one. 